Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. Today's guest is Gregory Pepin, Deputy CEO at Dell Tech Bank and Trust. Welcome, Gregory. Last weekend, a Medium post by a pseudonymous former Bitcoin investor going by the name Crypto Anonymous made the rounds on crypto Twitter and elsewhere. It was titled The Bit Short Inside Crypto's Doomsday Machine, and it alleged that the stablecoin Tether, which is supposed to be backed one-to-one by U.S. dollars, is a, quote, highly probable fraud. There were a lot of um, different strands that Crypto Anonymous wove together to present his or her hypothesis, but the one that most people zoomed in on concerned whether or not Tether is fully backed. So Tether is run by Tether Limited, and Tether Limited's bank is Deltec, which is uh, where you work, and that's a bank based in the Bahamas. And the part of the piece that people were concerned with was a section where Crypto Anonymous showed some tables of the foreign liabilities of domestic banks. And here she wrote, quote, from January 2020 to September 2020, the amount of all foreign currencies had by all the domestic banks in the Bahamas increased only by $600 million, going from $4.7 billion to $5.3 billion. And so the Bahamian dollar is pegged to the U.S. dollar one-on-one, so it's the same in U.S. dollars. And then he or she wrote, but during the same period, total issued tethers increased by almost 5.4 billion, going from 4.6 billion to 10 billion. So Greg, can you explain why this discrepancy exists? Well, um, I've seen that article actually, and I find very interesting that uh, there's someone that apparently have time perfectly buying and selling crypto. It's actually often the case in those articles of so-called experts. They usually have time to market like geniuses and then start to claim things that are kind of unbacked. Especially in that case, uh, they went to that, uh, I think it's the Digest or Central Bank of the Bahamas, and they became overnight a banker expert, which I love that because we always look to recruit. But in that case, they didn't dig a little bit further about how that report works. Um, first of all, they should have known that the Bahamas is what they call an offshore uh, jurisdictions. So what he means by an offshore jurisdiction is you have domestic bank and international banks. In the domestic bank, there is two types of license linked to it. You have what they call the authorized dealer license and the authorized agent license. 
Dell Tech do own an authorized agent license, which is a license that allows them to custody Bahamian dollars. However, we don't have what we call an authorized dealer license. So when it comes to cash and deposit, we cannot hold any Bahamian dollars cash and deposit. And at the same time, because we cannot hold those dollars, Bahamian dollars, we cannot serve local customers. So what we have is we have, along with that authorized agent license, we have an international bank license, or I think it's called restricted license as well. So in fact, for that report, and I'm sorry for that person, because I guess he thought he was onto something, uh, we are not a domestic bank for the report of deposit. And actually, if he went and took the little effort to go and dig a little bit about the size of the Bahamian market of banking, would have found out that the entire mass of banks have around $200 billion in asset, I believe. And we are part of that. So we are not a domestic bank aside of that authorized agent license, but that is an irrelevant business for us. And that maybe be not much must be reported. We are an international bank and that is part of the international bank aspect. That's why I did answer to some people asking us, but you are domestic. We say no, because we cannot take domestic customer and we cannot hold domestic Bahamian dollars. So that report is actually uh, not relevant and nothing to be seen there. And actually, so that I can complete, okay. yeah, uh, every tether is backed by a reserve. Their reserve is fully backed and more than the, what is in circulation. That, I mean, we can see it firsthand. So I can confirm you that. Ah, okay. Interesting. So then are all the dollars that back tethers so, held uh, by Delta? The, the reserve, like I said, all the tether in circulation. They have the reserve matching that and more probably, but they are, they have the reserve and there is no secret. And when you and look where? at the article in the, in, in the reserve, like the entire reserve is there, they have sufficient, uh, held by Deltec, uh, held by Deltec and probably other institution. But to go back to explain a little bit about the, uh, article, because I want to go back to the article because you're right. This article went around and created a lot of FUD. First of all, like I said, the notion that it's unbacked is incorrect. The notion that to able to be able to reference the fact that it's unbacked, they used that report from Central Bank of Bahamas, which actually is incomplete because if they know a little bit how Bahamas bank to addiction, they would have realized that looking at domestic bank what is inaccurate. And then on top of it, I believe that aside of the fact that he discovered that Tether existed only early 2020, which is kind of weird for someone investing in Bitcoin or early 2021, he actually indicated that every time the Bitcoin price went up, Tether printing went up. I think there's one thing that surprised me, and I've seen that on one of your podcasts where uh, I think it was CoinMetric people that actually indicated the growth of stablecoin. And they mentioned the arbitrage that happened in March 2020, March 2020, and, two, and that Tether stayed above $1, I think, for two months when the other stablecoin went back to one. Uh, I think that one, one element that the person that was there, which was a very interesting podcast for Kat to mention, is that people, when they do that kind of arbitrage, they don't do the arbitrage directly on the pair Tether dollar. They do it on the Bitcoin USDT, Bitcoin USD. And the reason why, again, I'm not an expert, but based on what I've seen on market flow, the reason why the USDT was always a premium is because you had an imbalance of demand and um, offer between Asia and US and Europe in the BTC. And since most of the liquidity in Asia is done in USDT, if you have more seller of BTC and USDT, the BTC price will be below. And if you have more buyer BTC USD, what happens? The BTC price USD goes up. The main currency used in Asia being USDT, that's why it was the, 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 the coin, the stable coin that stayed at premium for a long time. And if you look into it again, this today, I believe Silvergate announced very impressive earnings. Congratulations to them. 
and they announced that their uh, mm-hmm. balance of deposit doubled, I think around two, three billion. And same for Signature, which I believe have informed that they have a big growth. And that is just a reflection that Tether, you can see the demand in stablecoin publicly with Tether, USD coin, et cetera. But this is a shadow of the demand in USD. And right now, what I've seen me from, from the inside and outside, you start to see a lot of buying from Europe and US using USD-based exchange. And you see a lot of natural selling coming from Asia because a lot of miners are in Asia and a lot of historical holders are in Asia, which use BTC, USDT. And so that's why you see that imbalance. That's why you see a lot of demand in USDT because for market makers and traders, there's a natural arbitrage. You can buy BTC cheaper in Asia because there's more sellers there. And you can buy, you sell them at a higher price in the US and Europe. And that's where I'm like, nobody realized the simple market force. And when people say Tether is printed out of thin air, basic knowledge of 101 market, if you print Tether out of thin air, they have to buy BTC USDT, correct? If you buy BTC USDT, what's going to happen? That price should shoot up and it should be well above BTC USD because you have, um, let's say, unnatural demand going on in despair. And it's not the case. If you look at the data between Coinbase and Binance, I believe, over 70% of the case, the price of Coinbase was always above the price of Binance, meaning that the buying was from the US and the arbitrager were taking advantage of it. So I just wanted to clarify that because this is not expressed properly in this article because that so-called trading expert didn't look at that aspect. And that's where I'm like, yeah, there's elements that, elements that seems to indicate that he doesn't have the knowledge of the market action. And the same way as they all wanted to know what banking works, and I've tried to interact with some of them on internet, on Twitter, but then when I follow what they say outside, I realized they don't understand how banking works either. They started to ask, well, why do you wire money through a corresponding bank? Well, that's how bank works. So all of a sudden, you have uh, overnight <laughs> experts that have ex- expertise in an area they don't know, which I'm okay with it, but it creates misunderstanding. So I wanted to clarify that because you talk about that article, I may as well just indicate everything I saw when I read that article that just proved by itself that it doesn't make any sense. Okay. And just to go back to the banking, um, mm-hmm. so what you're saying is that Deltec, because you're a smaller bank, you um, you work primarily through uh, some of the large correspondent banks like no, City no. or HSBC or something. No, 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 it's not related to that. The way banking works is um, a European bank to get US dollar need US dollar custodian and corresponding bank. A US bank that needs euro need a European corresponding bank and European custodian. We are based out of the Bahamas. So our native currency is Bahamian dollars because that's the currency where we're licensed. So for us to be able to receive or send euro or to receive or send dollars or to custody those, we need multiple corresponding bank in Europe and US, which we do. We have multiple of those in both currencies because that's how you pretty much diversify your, uh, your, uh, your counterparties. And that is just how banks works. If you look in your bank, for example, if you reach out to your bank, in the US and ask for a wire in Euro, they will tell you to route that wire. I mean, no, they won't. They will give you the SWIFT and you will find out if you look at the SWIFT message that the wire was routed through a European-based bank because every Euro are held in Central Bank of Europe and every dollars are held at the Fed, at the Fed and every Bayman dollars are held in the Central Bank of Bahamas, pretty much. Okay. And just quickly before we go to um, our ad break, so what this has to do with Tether... It is because since Tether uh, is backed by U.S. dollars, so what you know, how does this relate? What you're saying? No, the, I mean that's. Let's put it that way. This is one of the other cases where people trying to find issues did not understand how the banking system works. 
So they thought they were onto something by understanding how you can send money to Dell Tech Bank and Trust. When in reality, oh, oh, the way, oh, okay. so that's how everything started. Okay. And I explained to those people, I said, okay. no, to send money to a bank, you take the SWIFT of the bank and then the SWIFT will give you for right, those right. banks where to route it. So there's no, no thing. And that's, that's one thing that created a okay, misunderstanding. Okay, so it's not related to Tether. No, okay. it's related to how the All flow right, so works. So in a moment, we're... Yeah. Okay. So in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit more about Tether and some of the allegations in the article. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com Metal Card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Back to my conversation with Gregory Pepin. So can you walk me through the process of how tethers get created, at least in terms of the part that concerns Deltek? Sure. Uh, so what happened is uh, on our side, we see customer that we have clearly the full KYC. So we know that are also, I believe, customer of Tether. And they just literally uh, instruct us or send to us wires. And at the same time, instruct, I believe, Tether about how much wire Tether they want to receive, they want to they get. And we notify them once we have uh, been informed by the receipt of the money. And that's how a Tether is issued. So one thing I was wondering is in the article, as you saw, Tether, at least compared to USDC, tends to get issued in these very round number blocks, such as 400 million USDT, 300 million USDT, whereas USDC um, gets minted in, you know, amounts like 9,374,133, which seems like tied to very specific orders. So why are all the blocks for Tether these huge round numbers? So first of all, I believe that, again, this article being very incomplete, uh, the the big chunk of 400, 300 are, I think, when Tether create pre, uh, pre-mint or pre-authorized Tether. So they just create a reserve in their Tether treasury. And then what about the size of the orders? There is size that can go anywhere. We've seen size of a few hundred thousand dollars to a few millions, tens of millions of or 50 millions. Because, again, that's what the traders or the OTC desk or the funds that buy want. So that's their decision of buying. And then remember one element that is key. There is much more volume in Tether trading, meaning USDT, BTC, USDT, ETH. That size of um, issuance related to Tether are naturally bigger from the different customer because of the needs in relation to that, because there is more trading going on with it. But again, those size of order are more dependent to the customer asking for those size, but they're not the 400, 300 million indicated because those are pre-minted Tether, I believe, in their treasury so that they can reissue them once they can authorize them, I believe, or release them once there is demand matching that and we can confirm that we have received the wire, uh, the wire and the funds in relation to the transaction. Okay. Yeah, I do see on their transparency page that there are ones that they haven't issued yet, but they're, um, they do keep track of that. Yeah. So and that is then the way they work thing, operationally. You know, That's the way they work operationally. That's something that would be up to discuss with them. It's probably for security reason. I think you mentioned that in a different podcast, uh, the team there. Okay. And Tether says that it's backed by cash or cash equivalents. And you said that you, that Deltek holds 
um, the dollars in Tether's reserve. So does Deltec also hold the cash equivalents? So one thing that is important when it comes to treasury management, when you manage that big amount of money, them or any other customer, you usually do treasury management. And so what do we mean? What it means by cash equivalent, it's assets such as T-bills, time deposits, things like that. And obviously that's part of the asset class. It's And so, yeah, that's part of the reserve. Like they're investing the reserve in treasury management. Uh, and I think they've indicated how they're invested. And yep, that's what it means by cash and cash equivalent. And so it it sounds like you, you know what those cash equivalents are? Mm, yep. I mean, I know. And so We're not involved in the investment, but we are a, a custodian of their cash equivalent. Yep. And so knowing, well, based on whatever the knowledge is that you do have of those, how do you think that they affect the risk that any crypto investor has when he or she purchases Tether? They're following... I mean, again, we're not involved in their investments, but as far as I can tell, they're following the regular treasury management you would imagine for managing such reserve. Nothing nothing beyond what you would expect for treasury management. So earlier, you very um, easily said that Deltec is holding the reserves for Tether, but Tether famously hasn't had a true audit of its books. Why not? And does that fact give Deltec pause? So first of all, like I said, I said that, yeah, the uh, Tether is fully backed by their reserve. So that, but that's not a secret. They've been repeating that over and over. Now, in Well, relation- I mean, but there, there definitely was a moment in time when they did lend a huge chunk of their money to Bitfinex and that no, was fair, what led to fair the... Enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But again, the question, <laughs> again, that's the division. It's a reserve. The question is to wonder if the counterparty is insolvent or not, which is another debate, but it's not for me to discuss. But to go back to your initial question, um, I think it's good to go back to when we started to um, work with them or in general, when we work with any entity, we actually do always an enhanced due diligence, especially when it's in relation to that industry, digital asset, because it's a newly established industry. And we didn't really want it to follow any article out there because, you know, when you're in the Bahamas, you're used about article painting a very bad picture of yourself, even if it's unfair. So we started to do an investigation by literally do a deep dive due diligence with them. And we were able to apply that very famous rule, don't trust, verify. And we kind of verified and we continue to constantly verify that uh, they are pretty much uh, following uh, what everybody's expecting them to follow. I do agree. I do understand that people would like to see an audit and it's up to them to find out if they will do one or not. But I do also believe that it was our responsibility to follow the rule of don't trust, verify. I mean, audit is usually very useful, but when you see the case of a wire card or the case of an Enron, audit didn't unveil the, the fraud that was there. And in our case, we really did a very enhanced due diligence, both in their AML KYC policy, because I heard a lot of things around that, and we cannot budge for that as a bank. We cannot afford taking any risk there. And we really did an enhanced due diligence there, and we're very pleased with that. And the relationship we have with them on that aspect is actually very good. And it's good to remember that they are registered FinCEN. So it means that they do report to the same regulators that every other stablecoin report to for KYC AML. So we've checked that, and we are in constant relationship with their compliance team, which is pretty big. And at the same time, we actually always check from time to time to make sure that uh, their reserve in general is properly uh, pretty much matching and, uh, and we also make sure that there's no uh, crazy things going on, as we do with any customer. Like, we don't see any difference for us to treat them or any other customer in terms of due diligence and assessment. So 
that's why we we don't like I say we don't trust we verify. So amongst the full class of stable coins, Tether clearly probably falls in what you would call the unregulated camp. Um, you know, as opposed to something like USDC, which we mentioned earlier. And at that, you know, just in this past year, stable coins have become a huge business. And as we've also been seeing, there's a lot more regulation that's coming to the crypto space. And already we have the New York Attorney General's office, which has been investigating Tether. And I wondered, as we see this regulation grow in crypto, how do you think that would affect Dell Tech in terms of the fact that it's banking the company that issues the biggest unregulated stablecoin? Uh, define unregulated stablecoin and regulated stablecoin. Define, I mean, how do you define one being regulated and the other one being unregulated? I'm aware that USDC is registered at the New York uh, Financial Board, I believe, which means that it allowed them to do business in New York. But is it regulated mm-hmm. to do business in France? Is it regulated to do business in Asia? There's no regulation there going on. So no, they are regulated to do business in New York. And I think it's the NYDFS license, which is uh, a few others have picked yeah. to do that. And, and so it's important to indicate that for us as a bank, what matters the most... So can you most, name a regulator? Uh, for can us, you name a regulator for so, Tether? Uh, like I said, the regulator related to Tether and actually regulated to Paxos and, uh, and related to USD coin and all of them, they're all registered FinCEN. It means that for AML KYC, which is what matters the most, because if you look at all the comments related, like Janet Yellen recently, it's all about and should be a lot about money laundering and terrorism and all those things. And in that level, they're all regulated the same. They are all registered FinCEN and they all report FinCEN. Maybe USDC, USDT or Paxos, they are all regulated under FinCEN in a sense that they are all registered there. And that's something that is that was very important for us because, again, what is critical, and if you look, as you said, on the environment of regulation related to uh, crypto, the regulation focus is all about uh, money laundering. When you talk, when you listen to uh, Yellen, Janet Yellen, or when you listen to uh, Miss Christine Lagarde, I believe, in Europe, it's all about money laundering, illicit usage of crypto, and that's a legitimate concern to always have and always be focused, crypto or any other asset class. And in that in that aspect, they actually are regulated under FinCEN. They are reporting under FinCEN. They have a complete investigation risk and, and, and compliance team that we have actually assessed ourselves. And that's the same case for USDC and Paxos, and I believe all the other stablecoin out there, because that's what you need to do. So that's why I was saying defining regulated and unregulated. Now you are right that USDC and Paxos, I believe as well, can do business in New York because they are regulated under the New York, um, the New York license, the BIT license there. But the BIT license only applies to New York. It doesn't apply anywhere else. And there's other exchanges that actually decided to walk away from New York because they didn't want to apply to the BIT license. However, all of them have a common ground, which is money laundering protection or regulation, which is FinCEN. And for us, that was a critical point. So we're not overly concerned about that because we believe that it's a relation of the quality of any uh, any cryptocurrency or any digital asset company's compliance program and compliance policy. And in the case of Tether, we've never been really worried about it. Actually, as, as I said, they've been very collaborative and very, very good uh, on that. And are you worried at all about the investigation by the New York Attorney General's office? We, again, that investigation concerned them, so we're not involved in it. So, I mean, I can't really comment about it. We still have a relationship with them uh, right now. So we did our due diligence and 
that's it. So we maintain a relationship, but uh, that's all I can say. So you just have your eye on that and see how it turns out? Mm, no, we have a high on all our customer, regardless of that element regarding to them or anything. What matters for us is the nature of the relationship we have with any of our customer, as long as they continue to fulfill any requirement we're asking them and any requirement that are in line with what the bank role is. And the bank role, again, is to make sure we're not the vehicle of money laundering and other things like that. Uh, they are doing their job like all the other customer we have at the bank. Therefore, we we have nothing to, we, we don't have an opinion and we should not have an opinion on whatever happens with uh, the ongoing investigation, as you said. Okay. And Hugo Rogers, Deltec's chief investment officer, said in an end of year video, uh, end of 2020 video, that Deltec has a large position in Bitcoin. He said, quote, we've maintained a very significant position in the beneficiaries of maximum monetization, which includes this large position in Bitcoin. And he goes on, we bought Bitcoin for our clients at about $9,300. That worked out very well through 2020. We expect it to work well in 2021 as the printing presses continue to run hot. So what was the purchase of the, what was the purpose of these Bitcoin purchases? Again, that was another route that was really interesting. Uh, that created a lot of FUD, a lot of people and a lot of so-called journalists claimed that we bought uh, Bitcoin for uh, Tether. And I believe Tether denied it. And rightfully, because in our case, people need to remember that uh, Deltec exists since, I think, the 50s. And we've been established as a well-known private bank. We have a lot of customer from asset manager to high net worth people to corporate, etc., and we have a very competent and well-respected investment team. And as part of their portfolio allocation for those customers, they actually did an allocation in Bitcoin uh, on behalf of those customers. And that's just an overall strategy. And I think it's a, it's a pattern that you start to see in many, many other investment firms that believe that now crypto and especially Bitcoin is a normal asset to hold in a portfolio. So it's just an investment decision. And again, this uh, kind of overblew because those so-called experts deducted something that came out of nowhere. We try to deny it. I've tried to do it myself, and it was a waste of my time because they have their own truth, and we have ours, I guess. So one of the party have the data. The other one don't. That's the only difference. Yeah, I said in a recent episode that I think there's an epidemic of this in our society. Um, no, but yeah, mean, factually, so, so if, basically what... No, but just for mm -hmm. people to think, if one day Tether wants to buy Bitcoin, do you really think they're going to go to their bank to do that? I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, why would they go to us, a Bahamian 70-years-old bank, to purchase Bitcoin when they are one of the biggest players in this industry? The, the thing is, they look at every details, and we've seen a lot of rumor, like apparently Tether and iFinex are Bitfinex are shareholders of uh, Deltec. I told them no, but yet they still believe it's the case. What do you want to do? You know what I mean? At one point at a time, you just let, let that happen. So, and, and it was just good to clarify some elements because it's always clear to clarify. But at the end, you can't convince everyone. And if you want to try, you're going to waste your time. Yeah. And so, but ju just to uh, wrap up that last question. So basically, your wealth management services was purchasing the Bitcoin for private clients. Exactly. In the portfolio management okay. that the client, and if you look, if people were following Deltec for other than FUD, they would have found out that our uh, CIO and the team has been uh, preaching about the uh, massive printing going on with the Fed and the ECB. 
and they mentioned that gold and Bitcoin was a very interesting play to do. And that has been, they have been rehearsing that for many, many months. And we ended up creating, uh, because the way they invested in Bitcoin is we didn't buy Bitcoin straight up in the market. We created a structured product that allowed the client to be long Bitcoin without having to buy the Bitcoin. But again, nobody listened to that when we explained that. Mm. But that's what we did. We actually allowed them to be exposed to Bitcoin without having to worry about the custody by creating a structured product. So yeah, it's just part of a global strategy. And I'm proud to say that our team was advanced because now it seems that it's the new trend and a lot of institutions want to do it. Or we were good enough to do it before everyone. I mean, before most. That's a, that's an honor to them. And I applaud them for that. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you for having me. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, BlackRock, world's largest asset manager, prepares to invest in Bitcoin futures. If there was ever a sign that Bitcoin is drawing the institutional crowd, it came Wednesday when news broke that BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, which is nearly $8 trillion under management, had made two filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission that two of its funds could invest in Bitcoin futures. The filings for BlackRock Funds 5 and BlackRock Global Allocation Fund mentioned illiquidity as a potential risk. Quote, As Bitcoin futures are not as heavily traded as other futures given that the Bitcoin futures market is relatively new. It also noted that the funds would only invest in, quote, cash-settled Bitcoin futures traded on commodity exchanges registered with the CFTC which basically at this point in time means the CME. On a related note, Goldman Sachs is exploring digital asset custody, issuing a request for information to at least one crypto custody company at the end of 2020. Meanwhile, on-chain analyst Willy Wu is seeing more whales buying up the recent dip in the Bitcoin price, with holders of 1,000 BTC sharply increasing and coins moving off exchanges to wallets that accumulate but do not sell. And finally, if you're wondering how well Bitcoin businesses have been doing amidst this frenzy, look no further than Silvergate Bank, which saw nearly $3 billion in deposits in the fourth quarter of 2020, all from digital currency customers, including crypto exchanges like Coinbase, Kraken, which Disclosure is a previous sponsor of my shows, Bitstamp, and others. Next headline, how a crypto-friendly SEC head could affect the industry. Several appointments by President Joe Biden have crypto people feeling positive about what the industry can expect from this administration. The new head of the SEC will be Gary Gensler, replacing the notoriously anti-crypto Jay Clayton. Gensler, formerly the chairman of the Commodity Futures Exchange Commission, is familiar with blockchain technology, having taught about digital currencies at MIT's Sloan School of Management. In an opinion piece for Coindesk, Jeff Bandman, a former CFTC official, said he expected Gensler would bring more clarity to market structure and infrastructure for crypto assets to, quote, promote adoption and investor confidence. He added, quote, I would be shocked if there are not things that make the industry howl. He also said he expected the SEC would finally approve a Bitcoin ETF. Bandman also raises an interesting question, whether Gensler will seek a mandate from Congress for the SEC to regulate the spot market for crypto assets that are not securities, noting that the CFTC only has enforcement authority, which isn't the same as regulatory or supervisory authority. Next headline, more crypto-savvy picks likely to lead CFTC and OCC. Georgetown professor Chris Brummer is Biden's likely nominee for CFTC chair, after the crypto-friendly chair Heath Charbert stepped down Thursday. 
Tarbert will remain a commissioner, however. Brummer has recently been researching cryptocurrencies and in recent years has testified about them as well as central bank digital currencies to the CFTC. Former Ripple board member Michael Barr will likely re- replace Brian Brooks as the controller of the currency, according to the Wall Street Journal. Barr is a former Treasury Department official currently serving as Dean of Public Policy at the University of Michigan. Next headline, Janet Yellen cites cryptocurrencies as a terrorist financing risk. In her Senate confirmation hearing, Treasury Secretary nominee Janet Yellen called cryptocurrencies a particular concern when it comes to terrorist financing, noting that the government should be sure its technology keeps up with that of the terrorists. She said, quote, I think many cryptocurrencies are used, at least in transaction sense, mainly for illicit financing. However, in written testimony, she acknowledged the benefits of cryptocurrencies as well as, quote, the potential they have to improve the efficiency of the financial system. Meanwhile, the same day, Chainalysis published the first portion of its 2021 crypto crime report, which found, quote, cryptocurrency-related crime fell significantly in 2020, from 2.1% of all transaction volume in 2019, which added up to $21 billion worth, up to 0.34% in 2020, which is only $10 billion in transaction volume. Scams made up the majority of all crypto-related crime, accounting for 54%. Meanwhile, ransomware, although it only only counted for 7% of all funds received by criminal addresses, tripled in the work-from-home world spurred on by the pandemic. Next headline, FinCEN remains a question mark for crypto under Biden. In a long analysis piece, Nicholas Day of Coindesk went through how appointments at several agencies would affect crypto, noting that the controversial proposed FinCEN rules that were being pushed by former Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin have now had their comment periods extended. However, he noted one part of the rule only gets 15 more days, while another part about record-keeping on counterparties will receive a 45-day extension because of its complexity. Next headline, ETH hits new all-time high. The price of Ether hit a new all-time high earlier this week, surpassing $1,420, although by press time, the price had fallen again toward $1,100. Next headline, the Bitcoin double spend that wasn't. Wednesday, BitMEX Research tweeted that there was a small double spend of 0.0006 Bitcoin, which was about $21. However, as Hasu of Deribit explained in a blog post, instead of this being the equivalent of someone bouncing a check in Bitcoin, it was more that a transaction was invalidated. But based on the fact that almost an entire day passed between the initial transaction and the first transaction that attempted to replace it, It seems unlikely that this was someone trying to cheat a merchant who offers purchases with zero confirmations, which was one explanation. Instead, what seems likely is that this spender, who Hasu calls Alice, actually made an additional transaction that assumed her previous transaction with a too low fee had already passed, and this time the fee she used was enough to pay for both transactions, so they both went through. Time for fun bits! Why 1 Million People Follow Her Price Calls on TikTok You've probably seen Marin Altman's TikTok videos in which she uses astrology to make crypto price predictions. She correctly called the January 11th drawdown on Bitcoin, and in this Reuters video, she explains that she's, quote, not an oracle. I'm just somebody who studies patterns. Altman, who dollar-cost averages her crypto purchases, says, quote, 
Astrology can be thought of like a giant mirror or a symbolic language, where certain signifiers of planetary alignments are archetypes, and they represent themes in the world, like growth or restriction or aggression or peace. So when she looks at how the movement of the planets aligns with Bitcoin for the next few months, she says February and early March are favorable, but then there will be a big price correction, but then May will be bullish. All right, well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Gregory and Deltek's relationship to Tether, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained Podcast YouTube channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with all from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Bossy Baker, Shashank, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.